Hello and welcome to the Be Less Done podcast. It's basically me chatting to a bunch of coaches and trainers who I feel are more intelligent than I am in certain areas and trying to get their opinion on certain topics. If anyone ever listens to this, I hope you enjoy. Okay, welcome to today's podcast. Today we're talking to Jack Clark. Jack, uh, I've known Jack for about two and a half years now. We did our master's degree together in UCD. Um, before that, Jack did his uh, Bachelor of Science over in Scotland in strength and conditioning. Uh, Jack has worked in multiple sports such as soccer, Irish hockey, schools, rugby, and most recently in motorsports. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Jack? Yes, no problem, mate. Um, I'm really, really happy to be doing this as well. By the way, it's great to hear from you um, and great to be on. It's a great thing that you've got going on here. Really excited. Um, yeah, so as you said, um, obviously, obviously we were in yeah, UCD together. Um, so at the time I was working with um, Hockey Ireland. Um, that role had sort of came, came about just sort of organically. One of our, it was actually one of our lecturers actually who, um, I ended up speaking to who was involved with Hockey Ireland and, um, you know, they were in the hunt for an SNC coach to come in um, and work with their under-17 team who were preparing for the European Championships at the time. Um, so I, I spent a year there working with, um, with Hockey Ireland, you know, working with the under-17s, a little bit with the under-19s, um, you know, had a couple had a couple of days where we crossed over with the senior team who obviously went on to do so well at the World Cup. So that was a great experience. Um, so worked with them for around a year. Um, and then obviously once everything was all finished up at UCD um, and I wasn't traveling that way anymore, um, we sort of just... Um, we sort of just naturally parted ways after the European Championships where the girls did really, really well. Um, they managed to stay in their, in their pool, um, which is pool A, um, which was a very, very challenging pool to be in. Um, and they did really well um, to survive that at the European Championships. Um, so that was a really, really interesting sort of time for me. Um, I had previously worked with... Uh, sort of national setup with um with the Irish Football Association. I'd worked with their um with their under fifteen schoolgirls and under seventeen national girls teams as well. Um and then sort of after I had finished up with Hockey Ireland, um I was I was approached by a good friend of mine whenever I was um Whenever I was actually studying, um, it was sort of right at the start of the Masters and um, I had been approached by him um, and this friend was starting up his own facility um, just at the time, just literally at the time where I was I was about to start studying and um, he had asked me, would I be interested in, you know, sort of coming in as his head coach. Um, the facility that he was setting up was a um, small group, uh, semi-private um, personal training facility for general population but um, you know I went down to look at the facility and we sort of had a chat and he said listen this would be great for you to take on your own athletes and stuff whenever you eventually you know sort of complete your complete your study and stuff like that so at the time I came on board with him and I was working as his head coach we were working with um, you know general population, as I said, um, group training, um, which is which is a whole different field in itself, but it's also very transferable as well. Um, so at the time, I was sort of working away there, and then um, I there was this guy who was training there, and he was, um, he was a rider. Um, he was a road racer, so his name was is Adam McLean. Um, and he had been training with the groups for probably a couple of months. And um, so Adam, obviously to give you probably a little bit of background, Adam's one of the one of the sort of most exciting up and coming names um, in all of road racing. Um, you know, at, 
at the time, I think he was 21. This was like a couple of years ago. He was 21 and he had just been named um, the fastest newcomer at the Isle of Man TT, which is obviously a very prestigious road race. Um, and um, sort of he was he was the name on everybody's lips um, at the time um, and still is. Um, he's, still, he's still got a very, very promising career ahead of him. But he had been sort of training with the with the groups and um i think eventually like he'd been training for me three or four months and you know one day like i sort of said to him listen i think you would be you know a lot better served um in a proper strength and conditioning program and um you know we sort of had that chat and i sort of spoke to him and pretty much told him what i thought that the you know that a strength and conditioning program sort of based around him and his sport, you know, would do for him. And um, sure enough, then he decided to sort of make that move. And we started to work together as a, you know, you know, as a coach athlete one-to-one. And um, so that sort of brought me to work in motorsport. Um, And that's sort of where I am now. Um, Obviously we're going to have a chat about it, but sort of working, um, working with motocross and, road racers and circuit racers um so that's sort of my main gig um and then i'm also working um there was a college that approached me and um they'd asked me to come on board as their strength and conditioning coach for their rugby team so i'm working with those guys as well and prior to this all to the whole um covid scenario i was actually just about to um to take over at a rugby club, um, a local club here as their head strength and conditioning coach. I'm sure that'll come to fruition once this is all over. But yeah, so sort of rugby is sort of, um, I'm quite heavily involved in rugby right now. But, um, you know, as I said, the main thing for me is working with the motocross and the road racers right now. Okay, perfect. Yeah, and honestly, there's probably three or four podcasts worth of stuff in that where we talk about Irish hockey, what you're doing with a rugby um, but the one thing that I, I really think is, well, you've done well for yourself is develop that little bit of a niche market when it comes to motorsport. So that's what we're going to focus on today. So now you just started how you told me a little bit how it came about. Um, so tell me, tell me currently what the setup looks like now. How many how many motorsport riders do you have? Yeah, sure. So I suppose um, I suppose that initial relationship and um, you know that work that I did with Adam. Now that would be probably about two years ago now that was that was sort of my first involvement with um with that sport and whenever we whenever we started working together we probably worked on a one-to-one um you know relationship um for probably about six months and during those six months I pretty much used him to learn as much as what I could about the sport um I had actually watched a lot of racing growing up. Um, my dad's sort of a huge fan of MotoGP, World Superbikes and stuff like that. So, you know, I had sort of grown up watching that and um, I always had a soft spot for the sport, I suppose. And then, you know, the older that I got and the more involved in coaching and sports science that I got, the more that the coach's eye comes into play whenever you're watching the guys and, you know, you're thinking about the way they move and, you know, the fitness levels that would be required to do the sport and stuff like that. But I had never worked in that sport before. So whenever I was working with Adam, you know, as much as what I was sort of teaching him, um, you know, how to train for his sport, he was teaching me as to, as to what the sport really entails. You know, obviously you do your research and, you know, you can read the literature and, all that but you don't really understand the sport I don't feel until you work with those athletes and you ask them the relevant questions as to what they feel is important to them um so you know I learned a lot from Adam over those sort of six months that we were working together just him and I um and I was always very very open about asking him questions as to how he he feels on the bike and, you know, what he feels is important. And we had a very open relationship whenever it came to programming and his training, um, you know, because ultimately he knows his sport. He's been racing since he was, you know, 
eight years old, he's been on a bike and, you know, I don't have that experience. And as much as what I can apply the science to the principles, I need to understand how, how the writers feel. And I suppose that initial relationship, you know, I learned a lot from him. Um, and then we, you know, as I said, we've been working together for about six months. And then the owner of, um, of the facility, Aaron, um, he hits me up and he says, listen, I have another, I have another athlete for you. Um, he's a motocross rider, but, um, you know, he's another elite level athlete. He's racing British championship. He's an ex-professional. Um, and that's then whenever I started working with Richard. Um, and that's whenever, you know, that was the first time I was involved in MX riders. Um, I had been working with Adam, who was obviously a road racer, and there are certain transferable aspects. But that was my first sort of motocross involvement was with Richard. Um, Richard was in his late late thirties. Um, as I said, he's an ex-pro. Um, he had lived in Holland, and you know, had been a professional over there. And he 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 had been involved in performance programs before. Now he hadn't necessarily had great experiences in those performance programs. Um, you know, he had always sort of felt that the coaches that they didn't really understand his sport and they sort of trained him as a different kind of athlete. He, you know, you know, to quote him, he said he always sort of felt like he was being trained as a rugby player and that wasn't what he wanted. Um, so I started working with Richard, um, really experienced guy, um, absolute wealth of a career behind him, some really fantastic, you know, experiences. Um, he had had a break from the racing scene for, uh, you know, sort of personal reasons, but then he had decided to come back and race, um, and race British championship. Um, so we sort of worked together for a couple of months as well. Um, sadly, actually he ended up rupturing his SEL prior to the season starting. So that ended up that ended up becoming a rehabilitation program. So we never really got to experience, you know, just how that how the training had transferred to his, you know, competitive racing at the highest level. Um, you know, but sort of around that time I had been working with Adam now for like a year and I've been working with Richard for a couple of months. And you know as they had trained with me more and more, I think they started to realise that they were you know, they were doing something that wasn't the same as what other writers were doing. You know, they were doing something a wee bit different. And, you know, as they got to know that more, they became very open about the training that, you know, their peers were doing, that other writers were doing. And they would show me videos of, you know, racers that they knew, friends, you know, or associates and the sort of training that they were doing. And, man, it was, it was just, it was just awful um like the training that these guys were doing was terrible and i think the guys that i was working with knew that and that's why they were sort of showing me it they were like look at what these guys are doing and it was i was you know circuit classes and you know crossfit sessions and stuff like that and there was just no sign of a structured strength and conditioning program for any of these riders who are racing internationally um you know at national level, international races, British championships, you know, we're not talking local level here. We're talking these athletes are racing at the highest level of their sport. Um, and their training was just really, really poor. Um, and it sort of got me thinking then at the time, I was like, like these guys need somewhere to, you know, to train. These guys need a coach who understands their sport and who wants to train them properly. Um <sighs> And they just didn't have that. You know, the more that I looked into it in the country, that you know, it just wasn't there for them. Um, and that sort of got me thinking about, you know, why could I not start my own, you know, sort of performance program uh, for these guys? Because they don't have it. Um, and I really wanted to give the motocross and road racing community um, you know, that chance to have a structured strength and conditioning program to train properly for their sport. Um, so I spoke to Richard, um, really, really respected, you know, obviously has had such a rich career and he's a really well-respected guy in the, in the community. And I sort of spoke to him at the time and I said, listen, you know, I'm thinking of starting something a little bit sort of on a grander scale than what we are doing right now, you know, I'm thinking of putting together a group environment for you guys to train in where, you know, 
road racers, motocross riders, circuit riders can sort of come together and train for their sport um, rather than sort of doing these random circuit classes and sort of, you know, boxing classes to keep fit and running the roads. I said, your sport needs a structured strength and conditioning program. And I said, and you, you, know, you don't have it. So I'm thinking about starting it. And I said, would you know anybody who you think would be interested in that sort of thing? And he said, listen, leave it you know, just leave it with me and I'll, you know, I'll speak to a couple of people. And sure enough, 24 hours later, he had four, he had four guys, all of whom are still with me. Um, and, you know, we sort of met up, we had a chat. Um, I sort of told them what, you know, what I thought of their current training, which wasn't a lot. And I sort of explained how they needed um, a structured strength and conditioning program. And, you know, these guys are all young, aspiring writers, um, you know, sort of, age sort of like 17 to 21, you know, they're all racing, um, you know, at the highest level here in the country, they're all, you know, they're all aspiring riders and um, they were all really, really excited. So we gave the group a go, you know, I had never trained athletes in, in a private group environment before. Obviously I'd worked in teams, um, but you know, the structure of working with a team um, with a whole sort of like a management team around you and then working you know, as the sole provider of the program. It's very, very different. Um, so we sort of give it a go. And, you know, at that time I had Richard plus those four guys plus Adam. So I had six riders working together at the time and things just sort of took off from there. But like Richard was really the turning point for me. You know, he was so highly respected um, and he was able to get a couple of guys, you know, sort of invested where I, I perhaps wouldn't have been able to, you know. And I think that having such a high profile rider in terms of Adam and then having somebody who was so well respected in the, you know, community because of all he had achieved and Richard, that was, you know, that was really helpful for me. But at the time that I was working with them, you know, that was never in my head. I was just sort of focused on doing the best job that I could for the guys. Um, you know, but I suppose having those relationships, you know, and working so hard with those guys in the end, then, you know, it really sort of uh, paid off for me. Um, you know, and, you know, fast forward on, you know, the performance program has been running for just over a year now. Um, so I've got 10 guys who train um, with me in the performance program. Um, and, you know, they range from international level, you know, to amateur, you know, to sort of local level. Um, and they all train, they all train together. Um, and then I have a couple of guys online as well. Um, that's, that's pretty much a brief history of um, of sort of the last year or two working with these guys and how it sort of went from, you know, having one rider to now working with, uh, you know, in person, you know, a group of 10 and then having a couple online as well. Yeah, no, that, that's, you know, that's all like super interesting, mate. You know, and I think that that's important that people realize that, you know, there are so many really high level fringe sport athletes that just slip through the cracks a little bit. And, the one thing that you said that that kind of resonates with me is that, you know, you're talking to you're talking to athletes who people don't understand their sport. You asked me about motorsport. I, I don't know. I've never really watched it, never paid attention to it. But if if and if they've had strength training programs before, which has felt like like you stated that they were doing it instead of, you know, trying to prepare for something like rugby instead of their actual sport or someone who takes the time to get to know them, get to build a relationship and look at the actual key performance indicators in their sport. Well, that's that's your number one ticket to get in buy in. And then you happen to be good at your job as well, which helps, right? So, um, you know, tell me, tell me a little bit about you know the strength of element stuff that you do with them. How do you program, and how does it change within the actual different sports in motorsport? And then, kind of, you know, I'm sure anyone who thinks about the injuries that come from that stuff, you think about maybe coming off the bike and stuff like that. But maybe tell me some about the other injuries that are caused within that sport. Yeah, sure. Um, and I suppose just to add one one sort of thing to what you had said there, um, you know, in terms, in terms of getting to know the guys, I mean, these guys, um, these riders are, um, are, they're a very specific breed of person. <laughs> you know, they're, um, they're, they're very, very, they're very, very extroverted. Um, and um, they have very specific wants and needs, and that is to ride the bike. Um, and I suppose, the reason why sort of these guys had felt like the, you know, the actual performance programs hadn't worked for them in, you know, in the past is that, you know, their coaches just hadn't 
sort of taken the time to ask them, you know, what do you feel is important? You know, like these guys want to have a say in their in their training. You know, they want to know why we are doing everything. You know, they would be your sort of classic why athlete. You know, they're so interested um, in sort of the methods behind the training um, and sort of why we are doing everything, but they want to know how it's going to impact their racing. And at the end of the day, if it's not going to impact the racing, they don't want to do it and they don't care. Um, so no matter what the coach thinks, if it's not going to, you know, if you cannot directly inform them how it is going to impact them on the bike, um, they will just lose interest and they want to have a say. Um, so I suppose it's just being open as a coach Um you know, obviously making sure that, you know, that you, that you have that authority over your program, but also at the same time, you know, just being really open, you know, to the ideas that are coming from, you know, from these guys. Um, and I suppose that leads me on to the, you know, to the strength training. Um, it's probably, it's probably the component which is most undervalued um, in the actual community, you know, of, you know, of motocross, of road racing, of circuit racing, strength training, you know, would definitely be in the stone ages, if not just completely, you know, almost like irrelevant um, to a lot of riders. You know, there are still a lot of riders out there who would say that they get their, you know, they get all of the fitness that they need from actually riding. Um, and, you know, I, I suppose what I would like to do now is, you know, maybe inform a little bit on, you know, how important that strength training is and, you know, what it can add to, you know, the performance on the bike. Um, so I suppose where you'd want to start would be with riding economy, you know, and I suppose to put it in a more familiar sense, it's very much the same principle as running economy. Um, you know, if your economy shit, you're going to, you know, you're going to gas quicker. Um, so I suppose in terms of writing economy, you know, it's, it's really, you know, it's governed by style, by writing style and from actual practice on the bike, you know, but, you know, we're talking about handling really heavy machines here and we're talking a hundred, you know, a hundred kilo plus in cases. Um, and you know, if you're not a strong unit, they, you know, they're going to take you for a ride, like, um. So in terms of actual riding economy, you know, being a strong unit, especially whenever we're handling machines, you know, that are as heavy as this, it's really, really important. Um, and then we go into riding posture, which would be governed by strength and stability of the neck, the trunk and the hips. And, you know, I think I'm going to quote William Wayland here. You know, he, I think he works with a couple of superbike guys um, and he would quote, you know, strong necks, cash checks and strong hips win championships. And um, it, it is, it is very, very true. Um, so, you know, that kind of stuff's really important in terms of riding posture. And I usually find that poor riding posture will then correspond to low back pain. Um, a lot of riders would complain of low back pain and usually they're the ones that, you know, that are poor through, through their neck and through their trunk and their hips and usually strengthening those areas will usually like alleviate the pain, you know, and the symptoms. Um, and then speaking about the trunk, I suppose, I, or the core, you know, if you want to be a little bit more familiar with it, um, that would be a really important aspect to these guys, um, you know, would be trunk stability and strength. And I suppose this would be a time to go into my sort of, way of handling trunk strength i'm you know i'm a believer in lifting heavy weights i don't i don't feel like there is a better way to work the trunk than you know squatting heavy or rdls or trap bar deadlifts stuff like that um you know i see i see a lot of riders who do train their core and they would be you know they would be using exercises like a pal off press or setups and stuff like that and for me i just don't see a red resistance band corresponding to the forces of a hundred kilo plus superbike traveling at you know 220 miles an hour around a country road i just don't see how 
uh, Palov Press would prepare your trunk for the forces that they will encounter. Um, so for me, um, that's just not that's just not enough to adequately prepare the core in terms of stability and strength. So you know, we lift heavy and we lift heavy year round. Obviously, exercises like kind of like a Palov Press, they have their place, but we're really talking about preparing the trunk for some really heavy forces here so you know that's why we lift heavy um you know when it comes to stability as i said we squat you know we we use the trap bars quite a lot whenever it comes to anti-rotation we do loaded carries and stuff like that um that's how we handle trunk training um you know the upper limbs as well will get a real hammer in. Obviously, I think that would be pretty obvious. You know, whenever you're on the bike, your upper limbs are going to get a real hammer in there. And then I suppose the final thing about, you know, why strength training would be important would be from a safety perspective. You know, these guys are going to come off of the bike. And, and I think that, um, I think that as a strength coach, you really need to prepare yourself for that. You know, like these guys are going to fall off. Um, that is going to happen. It's a, it's a real sort of part and parcel of their sport. Um, and I've always sort of said to the guys that whenever you do fall off, we want you to bounce. We don't, we don't want you to break. Um, you know, <laughs> as um, I suppose as gruesome as it is, um, you know, Whenever these guys do come off, we want them to be robust athletes, and you know, we want to minimise the chance of breaking things and tearing things as much as what we possibly can. Um, so we want to make them, ro you know, robust for the actual coming off of the bike. So when it does happen, um, that you know that their bodies are strong enough to cope with the impact, you know, as best as they can. Um, and I, you know, I do have a good example that I suppose I'll speak about whenever it comes to the rehab side of things uh, with Adam, where, you know, the strength training that we had done, um, you know, he was the first to admit that it was really, really important from a safety, uh, you know, sort of point of view. Um, so that would be like strength training and why it's important for these sports. Um, you know, I'd say I've spoken for about 10 minutes there. And to think that, you know, still the majority of these athletes are still either ignoring it or just not having the opportunity to train it. Um, it's, you know, it's quite frightening for the sport. You know, we're talking right at the like world-class level. Obviously all of these guys are, um, are training strength, but, you know, we're still sort of talking even at like national level and, international road racing and stuff like that you, know, you still have guys who just are not strength training and you know if you look at all of the things that i've just went over there it you know it's certainly something that i would say is massively important um and then if we go into the programming side of things like the actual season's pretty crazy um you know right I suppose the sport itself is crazy. The season itself is crazy. Um, these guys have pretty hectic schedules. Um, whenever these guys have a race to go to, it's usually it's usually a full weekend long. Um, the road racers and the British Championship racers will very often be away from Thursday to Sunday. Um, you know, for the Isle of Man, they're away for three to four weeks. Um, the motocross guys. You, you know, we're talking Friday to Sunday here. So it's not just a case of having a game on sort of one day of the week, having your recovery and then having the whole rest of the week, you know, to train. It's not, it's not really like that in this world. Um, the season's pretty crazy. We have to be, you know, as a coach, we have to be adaptable to schedules and we have to look at when can we get all of, all of the necessities in that we need to and very often it's a case that we may only get to train strength once a week but I usually find that's enough to keep the guys going if we've laid the foundations well in the off season um, you know the off season runs from October November through to March so it's pretty considerable um, a lot of the guys will go on practice camps to Spain and the likes of that for maybe two or three weeks you know somewhere in the middle of that but Generally, I get them for about six to eight weeks where they're not on the bike at all. 
and then about six to eight weeks where you know they start to go back to practicing again. So in terms of the off season, that's whenever that's whenever I would get the most opportunity to work with the guys and sort of really work on their strength and stuff like that. Um, for the first for the first portion of the of the off season, we would we would usually just sort of work solely on strength because it's the it's the only real sort of time of the year that we get where they're not on the bikes um you know and we don't have to prepare for that so for so for that sort of first half of their off season i used um i would use sort of an adapted version of the triphasic training model um and we would place um more emphasis on the eccentric and the isometric phases of that because you know those are the contractions that these guys are experiencing more on the bike you know they're they're eccentrically working especially in you know, sort of the the jumps and lands in motocross there would be a lot of eccentric contractions going on there and the isometric contractions would probably you know for any strength coach would be the obvious one they're isometrically contraction uh, contracting sorry pretty much the whole way through the race um, so we would spend about we would spend about three to four weeks on each of the eccentric and isometric phases there, and we would, you know, we would we would still we would still go through the concentric phase just to let the guys express the strength that they have built. But we would usually limit that to like one or two weeks um, just to go through the full triphasic model, um, and that would be, you know, as I said, that would be about six to eight weeks long, um, and that would be our only real time of the year where we would solely work on strength training. Um, once the guys start sort of start to look towards returning to practice, they want to focus more on their energy systems. Um, and obviously we will speak about that, but whenever we do go to the focus on, you know, energy system development, we still, you know, we still want to work strength. Um, obviously the triphasic training model, um, it doesn't really fit with having strength as a secondary focus because it's very, very sort of, it's very, very time consuming. Um, so I would usually then switch to the one by 20 method, which I think is really, really popular in the States right now. Um, you know, it has been about for years, but it's sort of making a resurgence. Um, Dr. Yes's um, one by 20 method. So we would, use that for the second half of the off season in order to still work strength, but have it as our secondary focus. Um, and I find the one by 20 method really, um, really effective to have alongside training the energy system. So like, you know, we would perform our, you know, whatever work it is, our aerobic work or anaerobic work, whatever that is. And then, once that's completed, we will go through the one by 20 and we would probably have about maybe somewhere in between 10 to 15 exercises. And, you know, for those who aren't really familiar with it, it is just as simple as what it says on the 10. It's literally one, one set of 20 reps. Um, and, you know, the aim of that would be to up your weight um weekly if you could um we would use a system where if they feel on a weight um sort of two times in a row that they would move to one set of 14 um for that exercise um and that served us really well i mean i would you know obviously i would test the guys pretty regularly to make sure that the programming's working the way that it should be and we still seen pretty considerable jumps in strength, even whenever strength was our secondary focus. You know, we we had guys adding sort of 15, 20 kilo to their squat um, over a course of about maybe eight to 12 weeks there. Um, and, you know, we didn't go near what would be considered, a, you know, like a maximal load. So that's a pretty, it's a pretty effective strength training program to run alongside um, having, you know, another component of fitness as your primary focus um you know i suppose is it is it ideal to be training strength and energy systems in the same session no but these guys are not professional i see them three i see them three times a week for about an hour and a half each each time and it's just not realistic to try to sort of separate the two you know is it ideal no but it is robust programming i think that's maladin 
Jovanovic that I'm quoting there and, and his sort of robust programming theory working from the bottom up. And, you know, well, rather than working from, you know, from the top, but, you know, and thinking about the ideal world and then it not working, you know, we work with what we have and we work with the time that we have and with the time that the athletes can actually commit. And, you know, I find that pretty, pretty successful. Um, you know, we had a really successful off season and the season was obviously just about to get underway whenever all of this happened. Uh, but the guys were looking really, really, really good. Um, so having that, you know, working strength and conditioning, um, you know, in the same session still seemed to be pretty, pretty effective if it was managed correctly. Um, in terms of prehab and stuff like that, we would do, we would do prehab with the neck. Um, again, I use William Whelan's, um, you know, recommendations for the neck. We work isometrically, we work eccentrically, we work in partners, um, you know, we have a couple of resistance exercises that we do with the neck as well. Um, and then pretty much after that, you know, in my opinion, the preventative measures of any, you know, sort of good strength program comes from the strength work itself. You know, we work on hip and shoulder health whenever we squat and press. Um, you know, if guys are injured and they need rehab programs, which I will get to, um, you know, obviously we'll do specific prehab stuff with them. But if these guys are healthy, you know, we don't spend too long on prehab. You know, we tend to focus on our strength work and do it well. And, you know, we're still working on range of motion and stability and strength whenever we are working up with our strength work. So in terms of prehab, we don't really, we don't really spend too long on that. You know, we would work on the neck and that would be about it. You know, a little bit of shoulder stuff sometimes, but we just sort of let the strength work sort of work its magic, I suppose. Um, as I said, you know, in terms of rehab, that's obviously rehabilitation's a pretty significant chunk of the job. Um, as I had mentioned earlier, these guys come off um, quite a bit. Um, I don't have any of my guys who haven't, who haven't broken, who haven't broken something. Um, most of the guys have had surgeries. Most of them have had sort of multiple surgeries um and um there aren't too many of them that wouldn't you know flash going through the airport and the metal <laughs> detector um they're so full of plates and stuff like that um so rehab's a pretty big part of the gig um whenever you are working with these guys whenever they come off um you know they're coming off at speed the motocross guys would tend to probably come off more often. Theirs is a more like aggressive sport um, in terms of the jumps and um, the sheer volume of riders on the track at the one time in the same place. So they would come off more often. Um, whenever the road and the circuit guys come off, it tends to be more dramatic. Um, it's a lot more. It's a lot more sort of dangerous. They're traveling at higher speeds. Um, you know, I suppose the best example of it would be Adam, as I had mentioned earlier. Um, Adam came off last year. Um, he broke his pelvis in two. He split his pelvis in two, broke a couple of ribs, broke his collarbone. He shattered his arm in five places from elbow to shoulder. Um, you know, he was in, he was in hospital. He was in a wheelchair for probably a fortnight. Um, you know, he, he was really sort of, that was a really significant crash for him. Um, and then, you know, the good thing about these guys, though, is, you know, as soon as they can get back to work, they're, they're just straight at it. Like, it just does not phase them at all. They, they are just a really, you know, they are a really sort of, you know, special breed of human. Um, you know, as soon as they can get back in the gym, you know, Adam was back in the gym within like a month of that crash. Um, and, you know, the ability to, work with what you have is really, really important for a coach working with these guys is, you know, the ability to be, to be really like adaptable with your program. And, you know, Adam didn't have use of his arm um, for, you know, for a good year there. And, um, you know, he's only just starting to be able to train with it, you know, over the last month or two, um, you know, the ability to work with a physiotherapist. I have one who, who I trust, um, who I would liaise with quite a bit. And we would sort of chat about things, you know, 
develop a program that would be based on that. He would have his his influence on it, and I would have mine. Um, and then it's really just a case of working with these guys and handling all, all of the components that come with injury. You know, I think having the group really helps them so that they don't feel like left out of their sport. They're still training with guys who are competing and involved in their sport, and that really helps them. And it's handling all of the psychological factors that come along with that, keeping them keeping them positive, make sure that they're winning often with their training and stuff like that. Um, you know, and that also like applies to the motocross guys. Like, yes, whenever they come off, it doesn't tend to be quite as dramatic, but they get hurt more often. You know, we have a lot of collarbones and knee um, injuries that would happen. They would be very, very frequent. Um, you know, and you know, sometimes it can be pretty spectacular. We had a young guy um, who came off there before Christmas and he, you know, he was beat up pretty. He was he was pretty bad. He had lacerated his liver, and he had done he had done quite a bit of internal stuff. So, um, you know, to try to try to ease him sort of back into his training was a challenge too. So, you really have to be you really have to be sort of prepared for anything whenever you are working with these guys. You know, the strength training, you know, in the ideal world of everybody being fit and healthy is one thing, but you know, these guys sort of compete in a sport where you know you're hurt pretty much every year in some way shape or form and you know these guys are prepared to get hurt and they're also prepared to go through the rehab that it takes to get back so um as a coach you just really have to be prepared for anything and you know any kind of injury is possible um you know even though i've only been working with these guys for like two years like i've seen i've seen I've seen a lot of injuries and it's really sort of challenged me to look into rehabilitation protocols and sort of liaise with physiotherapists and learn a lot more about the healing process and the, the rehab process, which I wouldn't have known that much about before I started working with these guys. Um, you know, I would have known your conventional ankle sprains and hamstring pulls and stuff like that from working with the, field sport athletes but these guys are these guys are a whole different are a whole different kettle of fish um so it's really sort of forced me to improve my knowledge of um of injuries and the rehabilitation um yeah process. It, it kind of it, it kind of comes back to what conor murray said a couple of podcasts ago about writing your program in pencil you know um when it comes and, yeah and definitely be as close to plan a um yeah i mean I, I can't ask i can't imagine there's too much more of a buy-in than you know I'd rather you bounce off the bike than break, you know. Um, if you if you can resonate yeah. with them, then they're gonna they're gonna be all all listen to what you want them to do, right? And I know you touched on it a little bit yeah. there, and we are gonna go a little more detail about the NG system development. Um, for me, yes. like like you know, like the the pretense of this podcast is I don't know that much about motorsport. I don't know about how long the, the events go on yes. for, and so how much how much time do you really yeah. allocate to maybe? each end of the um, NG system development, whether it be alactic or aerobic, and what kind of stuff do you do with the guys? Sure. Um, so, motocross um, is renowned um, for being one of the hardest sports in the world. You know, I suppose even the road racers would be the first to admit that <clears throat> motocross would be slightly more physically challenging um you know but i'll try to speak about the two sports as as interlinked as what i can um i suppose the best thing to do prior to actually speaking about it would be to give an overview of the actual sport itself so you know we're talking these guys heart rates will be probably above 90 percent for the entirety of the race um you know we're talking we're talking a race of about 30 to 40 minutes for, you know, for a moto and then the roads can be longer. Um, you know, but we're talking heart rates of up above 90% for pretty much the entirety of the race, you know, from about like a minute in. Um, and then, you know, the heart rate won't really fluctuate from that. It'll just sort of sit at that sort of 90 to 100% really. Um, now, obviously there's a lot there's a lot of factors that contribute to this elevated heart rate. You know, there's, you know, there's the undoubted psycho emotional stress of the race itself. And there's, you know, there's the heat from the leathers and stuff, but regardless, the intensity is high, the heart rate's high um, for the entirety of the race. Um, it's, 
it's one of the toughest sports that I've ever worked with. Um, you know, as I say, these guys will be working for, you know, 30 minutes probably for like a moto. Um, but they'll, you know, they'll do three of them in a day, you know, you know, they'll do a qualifier and then they'll do a uh, race one and then they'll do a race two and they won't get that long of a break in between. We're talking like an hour, an hour and a half in between. So it's, you know, it's sort of several, it's sort of several bouts of prolonged, really high, high intensity work. Um, now, in terms of energy systems and um, what I do with the guys, to be very honest with you, in the season, listen, I suppose I would be the first to admit that there isn't anything that you can do that is going to correspond to your sport more than actually, mm-hmm. you know, perform your sport. So um, in terms of energies, uh, you know, in terms of the training for the energy systems, um, I always say to the guys, listen, when you, know, when you can get on the bike, you get on, on the bike at the end of the day. Um, probably in season, um, the guys are on the bike that much that I don't really train the energy systems um, in season. It's just, it's just not required. As I said, the season's crazy. Um, You know, these guys will be on the bike on a Saturday, Sunday, and then they'll practice on a Wednesday. They don't need any more energy system um, focus. So we tend to just sort of like focus on restoration and trying to get some strength training in, in the season. It's really only the off season that I would, that I would really work with these guys um, and sort of try, sort of try to make some improvements to their energy systems. Um, obviously, outside of injuries, if the guys are injured, then obviously, you know, they aren't able to get on the bike, and we would devote the time to that. Um, I suppose whenever it comes to the off season, then and how I structure the energy system stuff, we just really need to look at the the sort of energetic demands of the sport you know the bioenergetic demands and um motocross and road racing um you know it definitely has an aerobic anaerobic demand you know there isn't there isn't there isn't obviously there there is never one energy system working you know solely at the one time anyway but you know both sides of the spectrum would be very important to the sport um they tend to sit in and around their anaerobic threshold for the entirety of the race. Um, um, and there is lactate present after the race. Um, so it, it really comes down to sort of focusing on both systems. But the, you know, the aerobic system for me would be the priority. The more time we can spend in that aerobic zone, as you know, as you know the better from a fatigue standpoint. So you know, we aim to push the threshold up and improve you know, their aerobic capabilities you know um you know the better we can get their their aerobic system um you know the the less we'll have to rely on the you know on the anaerobic system so that's what we really try to do in the off season is try to sort of try to push the anaerobic threshold um up the way so we can use the you know the aerobic system more in the race um in terms of the anaerobic stuff we um in the off season, we just aim to improve that lactic capacity. Um, um, and the methods that I would use for energy systems, um, you know, I based a lot of my energy system stuff off of the work of Joel Jameson, who is literally yeah. the OG for, uh, for that kind of stuff. Um, and the work of James Smith as well. Um, and most of my stuff's pretty simple. I use, uh, so obviously I use interval training um, and I'll use, aerobic um aerobic aerobic power and capacity Mm -hmm. intervals um and really the difference between the intervals is really the manipulation of the work and rest periods um and that's as simple uh, as what it comes down to i think whenever you understand um you know how to how to manipulate those you can sort of train the energy systems really accurately um we would use the ski erg and the row erg um quite a lot as they sort of work the upper limbs quite a bit and that would be that would be quite specific to the sport um so for the aerobic power intervals we would use intervals of anything from 120 seconds work at maximal um vo2 with um 120 seconds rest and so that's sort of like two minutes on two minutes off and then for the lactic capacity we want to bring we want to bring the work right to the edges of that lactic capability so you know so we work up to anything up to like 90 seconds at sort of max 
intensity and then we just make sure that the recovery is not enough to allow the lactate system to recover fully so we'll usually rest for about two minutes in between those intervals um and we'll sort of perform anything from like six to eight intervals in a set um and you know we'll do sort of two to three sets there um outside of the interval stuff you probably seen us using the resistance bands quite a bit um for the lactic intervals uh, for the lactic capacity stuff um that was just sort of something that i had played with um you know outside of using the machines um we would you know we would wrap the resistance bands sort of around the outside of the rack um and we would have the guys sort of almost in like a bench press motion um you know, sort of work as hard as what they could for you know for the same intervals about 90 seconds or so you know usually less because we were just solely using the upper body um and we would work for anything between 60 to 90 seconds and then you know as i said rest for around about two minutes between the set and that was just really you know sort of taking the localized lactic capacity of the upper limbs to the limits and working that because the upper limbs would get a you know a harder hammer in than what um than what the lower ones would in the sport so that was just sort of like a little bit of really specific stuff for their upper body um and then outside of that really like the guys would uh would have their own steady state stuff program for them you know we don't do that in the actual training training sessions the guys you know they don't really want to come in and you know you know perform like an hour's worth of steady state stuff you know they want to get in and they want to work and they want to you know they want to have a bit of fun in the process as well so you know they would do their steady state aerobic stuff outside of the gym um i would obviously program that for them but really we you know we tend to keep it quite straightforward with the intervals we you know we work sort of both sides of the spectrum with the intervals and as i said we just look to manipulate the work and rest periods and that's and that's how we get um that's how we get the specific adaptations um and then as I said, you know, we play around with more specific stuff for the upper limbs um, with the resistance bands and stuff like that. Um, that's sort of just to give the guys a little bit of variety. Um, that would be another thing about these guys is, you know, they love they love variety. Um, obviously, we would never sort of change the programming just for the sake of it. But, you know, it keeps me on my toes. You know, how can I, how can I sort of bring about adaptation, you know, in a similar but different way this time, you know, to keep the guys excited and engaged. Um, and that would, that would, that would really be the energy system development stuff in a nutshell, you know, as I said, in season, you know, it all comes, it all comes from the bike. Um, and, you know, the guys would do quite a bit of cross training as well in terms of like the road racers all would have like a moto bike. Um, all, all of the guys would have a road or, or like a mountain, bike as well um so they would do a lot of cross training that way that would handle the aero um, yeah too. no um and then literally mate thank you so much for going into so much detail with that because you know sometimes you you talk to strength coaches and you ask them what they're doing and not in this podcast or whatever but in general and they're very reluctant to tell you exactly what they're actually doing as if you're going to judge them and all you <laughs> want to do is just have a conversation yeah. about it so i really i really do appreciate you going to going into yeah. detail on that and setting out certain we- uh, work to rest ratios and stuff you do and why um and then, yeah. so just to kind of the, to, to finish up on, on what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to move away a little bit from, from motorsport and we're going to talk about a topic that I, you know, you're quite outspoken on, on Instagram and stuff when it comes to returning to play, <laughs> returning to your sport when this, when this COVID stuff ends. Um, and just give me, give me, you know, some, some of your thoughts and some of your recommendations for, for athletes um, trying to get back into it. Sure. Yeah. Um, Listen, I think it's it's um, it's sort of very obvious at the minute that um, there are, are a lot of sports people out there who just aren't that well informed um, on how to train during this time, and that's not necessarily their fault. Um, there's there's just a lot of poor information out there, and I suppose it's coming from it's coming from various sources. You know, it, it's coming from coaches who are trying to make sure that their players are staying fit. And they're you know they're sort of trying to they're trying to create some form of like a fitness structure but they're not really sure on how to do it then there's obviously the instagram influence 
and um, you know a lot of the influencers are now coming into their own with their with their workouts. Um, so you know it, it is certainly concerning me, um, both as a coach and also as a sports person. Um, you know, obviously I am still involved in playing soccer myself. Um, you know, it, it just concerns me to see um, the sort of the lack of appropriate training going on right now, because what I think what a lot of strength coaches are, you know, are sort of waiting for and anticipating is whenever the seasons do come back, it's going to be very, very rushed. Um, if the seasons come back and they're trying and they're trying to get them completed, um, you know, we're going to be talking a drastic increase in load, probably, you know, increases in like volume and load that most players will have never experienced before. Um, you know, they'll be coming straight into playing perhaps two games a week with a training session in there as well. And they won't even have had a preseason. So that's really, really concerning. Um, you know, and then we've got the, you know, so we'll have under conditioned players and we'll have over enthusiastic coaches and managers who will think that just throwing their players straight into really intense trainings, the only way to get them ready for the games, um, you know, that will be coming, you know, thick and fast. And even if the seasons aren't completed, you know, the next season's going to be coming across pretty quickly as well. Um, and, you know, then we have the influence of the, of the online workouts, which are, I suppose, glorifying temporary pain and, you know, their, their real lactate inducing workouts, which are making, making people feel like they're working hard. Um, whenever in fact, it, you know, the actual adaptation that it's, bringing about is not really anything to do with their sport so um i suppose those would be my concerns over what is going on right now and um if i could offer any any help or advice to um especially to field sport athletes right now um it would be you know i suppose number one thing would be to make sure that you are that you have some sort of high speed running in your in your training program, you know, I'm seeing a lot of steady state stuff being done, a lot of road runs and stuff like that, which, you know, listen, if that's, if that's, if that's the way that you want to, you know, work on your fitness and work on your aerobic, um, you know, your aerobic capacity, you know, it can have its place. I would always much rather do tempo runs, um, a little bit more transferability to the field, you know, but in terms of, high speed running and sprinting it just it just it just has to be in your training right now you know running long sort of 8k's 10k's that's just not preparing the hamstrings at all for the forces that they are going to experience whenever it comes to training time and there's and there's sprints and there's short changes of direction and sharp changes of direction at speed and stuff like that. So I would definitely recommend that people get some sort of sprint work um, in their training. Um, you know, even, even just to prepare the hamstrings and make sure that, you know, that whenever we do go back to training, that there isn't going to be this massive increase in hamstring strains and stuff like that. I also think it's, that it's a great time for a lot of people to just use the time to get, faster um and to actually sprint properly the problem is is that like a lot of people just don't know how to train for speed you know they aren't willing to take the rest periods in between their sprints um you know they aren't sprinting fast enough or hard enough um and i suppose all that they're doing is really you know i suppose tiring themselves out with sub optimal sprints um so i suppose that would be an issue um but i would definitely use the time to get some sort of high speed running and sprint training um into your training because the problem is is that you know the long runs might be doing something for your you know for your general conditioning you know but they're not conditioning your hamstrings for what is going to be a really rushed return to play um and obviously then you have the transferability of the you know if you train slow you're going to be slow the the age-old saying from speed coaches so you know you really don't want to be getting slower over this time period um, and then I suppose with the, with the actual workouts themselves, we really need the athletes to be focusing as much as what they can on, 
maintaining strength and mass. And even if you don't have any, I suppose, specific gym equipment at home, there are still ways to train for that. You know, we can use we can use tempo training. We can use isometrics. Um, I'm using a lot of isometrics with my guys at the minute um, and controlling the eccentric sort of portion of the movement as well. And I suppose, again, it comes down to a knowledge thing is that people just aren't aware that these are options that they can use to manipulate their movement in terms of, you know, isometric holes um fast eccentrics um you know controlling controlling tempo and stuff like that they're just not aware and that's where i really feel like um the sports science community needs to be putting more more information out there you know as you said i know everybody's hesitant to give out information on 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 how they train people but i just think it's like a duty of care right now to try to at least get some form of training that people can be doing that's going to serve them um you know and i think as i said the problem is is that most sports people just aren't aware that these are viable options so they then turn to making themselves feel tired with these workouts you know these you know jump squats and burpees and press ups just without any consideration for you know tempo or you know um work and rest ratios or anything along those lines they're just really making themselves really really tired it's just not specific to um their to their performance so i think that the i think the sports science community should probably come together a little bit more and be a little bit more open with information as to how people can be strength training at home because you know we still can even if you don't have any as i said you know specific gym equipment um and I suppose the last thing that, you know, I would suggest to sports people out there is just to use this time um, just to sort of recover um, and rehab any injuries that have been present during the season. You know, I was speaking to a really to a really good friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, and um, he's a he's a county GAA player, um, also plays soccer as well or used to and um, he had said he was just really enjoying the break from you know from contact and just and just having the freedom and time to you know perform four running based sessions per week he's doing two speed and two aerobic capacity work um you know and he's just really enjoying that break from not having to play and then train because you know like a lot of athletes play with you know symptoms of injury you know I suppose we know that, you know, a lot of athletes play with symptoms, you know, I think that people think that, you know, the injured, the injured players are on the sideline, but they're not, Um, you know, like a lot of players have got minor injuries whenever they, whenever they play. So my advice would be if you did have anything like that to rehab it properly and to take the time now where you have that total break from, um, from your sport just to rehab it you know if there was any sort of you know ankle worries or anything along those lines you know just to take the time to rehab it properly and you know prepare yourself for the season to come uh, but there you know there is there is still a lot that people can be doing um you know that you don't need any gym equipment for um that can prepare athletes for what it is to come um you know so I suppose in summary, it would be to make sure you get that high speed running and sprint training in. And, you know, if you don't know how to do it, just ask a coach who you think would be knowledgeable in that area. Um, And then just to keep just to keep strength training as, you know, as best as what you can. And just to manipulate the movements with like isometric holds and tempo and controlling the eccentrics, um, you know, and stuff like that there are still loads of ways that we can still continue to, str- to train for strength without the actual yeah no, and itself, i think that you me know? and you are very much on the same page when it comes to all this kind of stuff you see you see so much out there you're like oh god if you could just talk to that one person and help them out you know but um yeah, yeah. that's it right yeah and I, I was saying the other day i don't know it was on um, i think it was on a basketball podcast and i was talking about you know this this for a lot of these athletes, whether they be coming through a youth setup in their kind of first couple of years in senior, it's probably gonna be the longest time since they've started playing sport that they're gonna have off. Right. So 
And we, yeah. it comes down to me as well. When, when I think about it, it's like, if we don't know the kind of workload and we haven't measured any of their workload in season, then we don't really have the best idea of what we're preparing them for, right? And uh, you, can, you can argue the fact that, you know, yeah. having a weekly uh, load that's average is, is about as useful as anything. But because when they go back, it's not going to be a yeah. weekly training load. They're going to be pushed into sports. There's going to be more, more games, more stuff like that. All seasons, are, there's going to be, yeah. you know, I'll give you an example, basketball, you know, it was coming towards the end of the season. And I, you talk about post players, the players who play underneath the basket they're banged up, they're bad. So they're enjoying, they're enjoying that kind of break. But when it comes yeah. back, they could be playing, you know, two games in a week and all this contact, and you talk about, you know, playing with symptoms of pain and injury, all this contact that they aren't prepared for, they are playing up and down the court. They haven't been high-speed running. They haven't yeah. changed direction. And we're expecting them to come back and everything be fine. Pro- probably not going to happen. You're probably going to see a lot more injuries. And if if it's the case that you are doing your 5K runs, then we're okay, at least you're keeping some aerobic capacity, come back up. But I, I don't generally believe it's the aerobic facet that's going to be your issue when you come back, you know. Um, the ability to move and change direction, absorb force, produce force and stuff like that, that's where the majority of the injuries happen, you know. Um, so, yeah, and I couldn't agree. Sure. You know, this is a perfect time if you have got any injuries, whether it be tendon stuff, you know, there's so much stuff you can be doing, um, nailing the basic plyometrics and stuff like that. So when you come back to prison, prison you can maximize the adaptation that you're going to get. Um and, you know, how many athletes do we know that, that don't sprint very well and have the perfect amount of time right now, that perfect amount of time right now to have the longest rest recovery. If, you know, unfortunately, if, if you've lost your job and you're unemployed and um, you have got a lot of time to perform a speed yeah. session, right? You know, you've got loads. Um, so absolutely kind of wrapping everything up for today. Thank you so much for coming on, Jack. I really appreciate it. Um, what, what I usually do at the end is I give you a chance now just to plug all your stuff, um, anything you, where people can find you, what they can how they can get in contact with you and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, it was an absolute pleasure to be on. Um, I suppose this has been, this has been a real sort of chance for me to get the word out there in terms of what the, in terms of what the motorsport community um, should really, you know, should sort of really be looking into in terms of their own training. Um, you know, I try to get the word out there as much as what I can, uh, but this will be another opportunity for any guys that are listening, who are, who are writers, um, you know, to hopefully have learned something as to the importance of a structured um, training program for you, you know, and what it can do for you. And obviously hopefully any of the field sport athletes listening, um, you know, will hopefully have learned something about what they can be doing um, at home over this time to, try to make their return to sport as, um, you know, as easy as what, as what it can be. Um, in terms of my own stuff, um, you can find me on Instagram at coach under slash J Clark. Um, I would tend to post quite a lot of information on there. Um, if that, if that was your vibe, um, I am also, uh, I also have my new website, which I launched cause I had a lot more time to play with. So, um, you can find me on my website at, um, Jack Clark performance Um, I, the website is a little bit sort of bare at the minute, but uh, I am intending to get a okay, lot more. Information perfect. Thank you so there. much. Once again, mate. I'll uh, talk to you soon. Thank you for having me on mate. Okay, just to wrap up on that one, once again, thank you to Jack for coming on and talking and talking in depth about the energy system development stuff and the, the strength training stuff he's been doing with his motorsport athletes. Um, it's, always, it's always good to hear what coaches are actually doing and work to rest ratios and stuff like that. Uh, coming up over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking to, as I said in the last outro, Sean Squires. We're going to be talking to Jonathan Nickel, a rehab specialist out here in Toronto. We are going to be talking to Ethan, Ethan Cochran, who is a powerlifting coach here at Humber College as well. So yeah, thanks for listening, guys.